You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see you. You know, one of the things we do in the church um, is that we're always on to the next thing. And, uh, you know, you do things, and uh, once they're done, they're forgotten, and you move on to the next thing. So you heard Brad announce, you know, January 14th, we have this um, ladies' night out. Heard him announce that we have a new uh, discipleship opportunity on January 16th. Let me just speak to that a little bit. My good friend Dave Stratton is teaching that class, and he's met with me a couple times. We've gone over some things. Uh, Dave is in charge of economic development for our county. He's a former pastor. And um, man, if I could take that class, I would. It's just going to be great. And so you're going to want to really look into that. But, you know, we, we do things and then we move on. And I'm not ready to move on. I, I'm still mesmerized by what happened here Friday night. Were you here Friday night? Can you believe what happened here? Uh, these drummers, right? You know, they, they came in a number of times and, and sometimes for four hours at a stretch, practice all of this. It was spellbinding. I couldn't believe it. I, I, I can't go on until we acknowledge how wonderful that, that service started here and it just didn't let up. Kate, who is probably my favorite female vocalist anyway, she sang a song just before the message and had a couple girls doing a harmony that was so tight. It was so wonderful. I'll tell you, um, you've heard me say <laughs> that don't light your fire. Your wood's wet. Right, 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 right. Hey, one more thing before, uh, before I begin a message. Um, back in, in, in November, I, you know, I was still mauling over, you know, what I'm going to do and all these things. And, and I had mentioned that uh, we were going to make a special emphasis for year-end giving. And then, you know, um, I announced my intention and it's kind of hard to work that in. But let me just say this. Um, this is the last week of the year, and a lot of charities, a lot of nonprofits put a big push. I mean, you know, you're probably getting stuff in email, probably getting stuff by mail, and, and putting a big push for year-end giving, and we never have. Um, but, um, boy, it'd be great if some people did. <laughs> it, it would be great if uh, this week, as you, you know, look at where you need to place things uh, financially, uh, if uh, part of your year-end giving could be a, uh, a check here to the church. It's been a rough year, right? This whole pandemic business has been tough. It'd be a big help if you could um, help us here at, at year-end. Um, that, that would be wonderful. All right, well, let's get to a message, shall we? Let me ask you a question. Miss Havisham, who knows in literature who Miss Havisham is? Let me see. Anybody? Oh, we've got a couple. 
A couple. Charles Dickens, right? Great Expectations. Uh, an iconic character. Um, she is about to be married, and at 20 to 9, she gets a letter from her fiancé that says he's already counties away with all of, well, not all of her wealth, but a, a great bit of her wealth, and, and has run away with another girl, and he's not going to marry her. She gets this news at 20 to 9. And for the rest of her life, she stops all the clocks in her mansion, and they all read 20 to 9. She leaves the cake where it was, and it falls and decays, but it's still there. And she wears her wedding gown with one shoe on and one shoe off because she read the letter with one shoe off. And now years and years and years later, She's a spinster, hair straggling, once white silk gown, now yellowed and grayed and ripping. House is in disrepair. And Dickens paints the picture, as few people can paint a picture, of utter hopelessness. She has no hope. And the Christmas story begins with that idea of hopelessness. The Lord hadn't spoken through a prophet to the nation of Israel for 400 years. We call it the 400 silent years, the intertestimonial period between the Old and New Testament, 400 years. When all of a sudden, some angels break in to some pretty unsuspecting characters. Now, I should tell you uh, that shepherds uh, were pretty much at the bottom of the pecking order. Uh, There's a saying that says, if you can do anything besides shepherding, do it. it. It was the lowest, the lame, the crippled, the the mentally imbalanced, often criminals, became shepherds. They were so ill thought of that they weren't allowed to testify in a court of law. Just as a category, if you're a shepherd, we don't need your testimony because it's not valid. You're too prone to lying, they thought. And so here's these shepherds out watching their sheep when all of a sudden, <laughs> the sky lights up. Look at it. Luke, second chapter, verse 8. We won't read this whole passage because this is what we talked about Friday night. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Living in the fields. No showers, just bottom rung. Um, so I'll skip several verses. Verse 15. When the angels had left them, after saying, unto you is born this day in the city of David, all that. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now, these shepherds were men who had been rejected all of their lives. And the only expectation they had for the future was more rejection. They were expecting rejection, but instead, <laughs> they received an invitation from heaven. What's interesting is who didn't receive the invitation? These who were thought to be the lowest of the low. These who had no sense of self-worth now were being spoken to by the representatives of heaven. In fact, it's not just shepherds. There's, there's a huge group of people that expected rejection. The weak of any kind, the lame, the blind, the, the diseased, the, the poor, the demon-possessed, all of these people expected more rejection after rejection because they were taught that if you're blind or if you're lame, or if you can't walk right, or if you can't speak, or if you're destitute financially, it's because you deserved it. You did something wrong. There's something inherently wrong about you. And they were taught, you deserve it. You remember when uh, Jesus encounters a blind man and his disciples pull him aside and said, Lord, who sinned here? This guy or his parents? Because in their thinking, if he's blind, it's because he deserved it. So did he do something or did his parents saddle him with something? <laughs> Jesus said, neither. You know, it's interesting and hopefully nobody here um, wrestles with this. But from time to time, I have somebody say to me, you know, this and this have gone wrong in my life and the Lord is getting even with me. The Lord's punishing me. <laughs> and I have that rare privilege right then to disavow you disavow them of that notion. I talk about the God who reigns on the just and the unjust. Who doesn't heap up problems on people. You remember, Jesus tells a parable about a man who's throwing a banquet. And it is a beautiful parable and it really doesn't catch us the way it caught them. I'll try to point it out. Um, but he, he's, he's, he's designed this banquet and the banquet tables are ready. And then he says to the disciples, let's pick it up in Luke 14. Um, 
Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had already been invited, come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I, I've just bought a field and, and I must go see it, so please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five oxen and, and I'm on my way to try them out, so please excuse me. Still another said, I, I just got married, so I, I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring, on, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now let me tell you, that's radical. It doesn't smack us upside the head the way it did them. Because in their minds, these people were that way because they got what was coming to them. Jesus, using this banquet as an analogy for the kingdom of God, says, no, invite them. <laughs> Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads in the country lanes. In other words, go farther out and compel, very strong word, compel in the original language, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. This is radical. That the weak, the poor, the blind, the lame would receive not rejection, but an invitation. There was another group of people with no expectation. And we might understand this a little bit better. And that was the sinful. And of all the sinners, you know, the, the ones that uh, the Jews thought the worst of were tax collectors because they were siding with, with the, the enemy government. And prostitutes, people who would sell their bodies. But in reality, um, those who became prostitutes didn't become prostitutes because they enjoyed it or wanted to. They thought, I'll do this or I'll starve. I'm not excusing it, I'm just saying. Luke 15, which is... Uh, one of the most beautiful chapters in, in the Bible. In fact, some have called it the gospel in the gospel, the, the, the one chapter in the Bible that tells the whole gospel. Jesus tells three stories, right? The, the, the story of the widow who has 10 coins and loses one. Uh, I think maybe the first story is um, the shepherd who has 100 sheep and one wanders off and he goes, finds it. And he concludes it with the father who has two sons. and The youngest said, Give me what's coming to me. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want out of here. And that whole chapter begins with these two verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. This was unconscionable. That you would eat the tax collector. No Jew would ever do that. 
They deserved rejection. Instead, they were invited to his table. In fact, these sinners were expecting punishment, <laughs> but they received his presence. <laughs> these sinners, the lowest of the low, the dirtiest of the dirty, those who had sold their birthright and some who sold their bodies day after day. In the Jewish mind, they deserve punishment. And here comes the Messiah. And instead, gives them his presence. There's a, a small banquet that takes place. Luke 7 records it. It's a house of a Pharisee named Simon. And midway through the banquet, this lady of the streets comes in. And she has a perfume jar. And she breaks it and she pours it on Jesus. And then she falls to her knees and she's weeping. And she begins to wash and then dry his feet with her tears and her own hair. Now Simon and the other Pharisees are sitting back and they are aghast. They're thinking to themselves, how can this man be a holy man and not know who this is? He has to know she's a woman of the street. One of the most despicable of all sinners. And he is abiding her. We pick up the story when Jesus turns to Simon in verse 7. Do you see this woman? Well, I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. <laughs> but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. She has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> she and people like her were expecting judgment, <laughs> but received mercy. All of her life, she was judged. All of her life, she was hated. And here comes Jesus. And instead of more of this, she receives mercy. All of these people that I've talked about, the, the shepherds, the weak, the lame, the blind, the, the sinful, the ones whose lives just didn't work out the way they hoped it would work out. 
Maybe your life hasn't worked out the way you had hoped it would have. And they were expecting rejection, but they received an invitation. They were expecting punishment, but they received his presence. They were expecting judgment, but received mercy. (laughs) You know, Most people fear God. They fear him. If you were to say to somebody, you're going to meet God in about an hour, they would go find somewhere and feverishly pray because they got to get ready. They, 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 they got to be prepared. They're, they're scared. They fear him. Most people fear his disapproval. Most people fear his judgment. Most people fear his rejection. And ultimately, most people fear his punishment. Now, he knows this, right? And because he knows this, it had a bearing on how he decided to come here. And who to invite when he did come. How different this looks, the Christmas story, than if one of us designed it. He came as a baby. To people who felt weak and vulnerable. He became weak and vulnerable. To people who felt rejected and pursued. He ran in his father's arms to Egypt, rejected and pursued. To people who felt like their birth was a mistake, that they're nobodies. He was born to a nobody and a father standing in who was a nobody. And when he decided to invite guests to his birth, he, he didn't send a delegation to the temple or to the governor's mansion. He found some shepherds living in the fields nearby. A bunch of outcasts bunch of nobodies. He didn't invite the A list. (laughs) Not the B or the C list. He invited the Z list. The bottom of the run. I love looking at how the Christmas story plays out without a word being said. And its significance to all of us. I love it. Because it says, I've not come to judge. I've not come to condemn. I've I've not come to punish. I know you're scared of me. So I'll come as a baby. I'll come amongst you. I'll be poor. So that the poorest of you 
will know that I know how it feels, that I know what you're going through. If you read the body language, it's, it is so beautiful. He communicates, don't be afraid. <laughs> I've come to love. I've come to rescue. I, I've come to restore you. I've come to give you new life. You who have had your life stolen from you, I've come to give you new life. And here we are more than 2,000 years later. And we're invited also into his presence. We're invited to receive his mercy. His invitation to us has to be accepted, though. His presence has to be sought. His mercy requested. For instance, the shepherds left their flocks and came to Jesus. The lame went to the banquet. The sinful left their table and came and sat at his table. The broken fell at his feet. Anyone who comes to Jesus must simply do that. Come to Jesus. He invites us. And he waits to see if we come. In our day, we're not as convinced as these people were of our poverty, of our brokenness, of our sinfulness. Some of us think we're pretty good folks. Well, it depends on who you compare yourself to, right? Anyone who comes to Jesus must come to Jesus. He still invites. And he waits. And he longs. He longs. He longs to see us come to him. We come to him. Would you bow your heads? If I had one wish for us as a church, in these few weeks I have left, it would be that anybody who's been coming just to attend because they like the music or they feel better about themselves when they do, that they would take it up a notch and do the only thing that really matters, come to Jesus and fall at his feet, receive his forgiveness, his mercy, 
So I'm going to ask you to stand now. I'm going to have a word of prayer that I'm just going to invite you to pray. And if you'd like to, leave where you're standing and come and slip down here to an altar. You'd be welcome to. It's saying, Jesus, I'm at your feet. I'm seeking you. My Father in heaven, I pray now you'll hear the prayers of this group of people. I pray your Holy Spirit would draw upon their hearts. And I pray that this may be the moment, the, the time when some in this room would respond to you in a new way. Go ahead and pray, friends. If you'd like to come forward, you're welcome to come forward. moment I want to say a dismissal prayer and you'd be welcome to go but you'd be welcome to stay if you're kneeling here and you want to continue praying by all means do don't get up if you want to come forward after everybody's dismissed you feel free to do that Father thank you for meeting with us today Thank you for what this season represents in our lives. Thank you for this love that will not let us go. That is not what we deserve, <laughs> nor what we could ever earn. Thank you. Bless these kneeling here. Bless those who may yet. May we be of those counted that come to you, that find our lives fulfilled in you, that find our purpose in you. I pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.